Hello, ladies. You are listening to the Saludable Latina Women's Health and Wellness Podcast with Lilia Gomez-Ash. The Saludable Latina podcast started with the intention to raise awareness about a variety of women's health topics, but then I quickly realized that the wellness journey is full of transitions. So I expanded my mission to include topics such as spirituality, health, and wellness. I am more focused to bring authentic conversations with real women as well as health and wellness experts for their insights for growth in the wellness journey. I hope that you find all the guests that come to the Saludable Latina community as people who are doing purposeful, intentional work. They are smart and they are passionate and they have a dynamic point of view when it comes to the wellness space. So I hope that you're able to learn something from the conversations, from the health tips, or the conversations that we have from women to women. Are you ready for the new episodes? Well then, let's get started. All right, ladies, before we get started with tonight's episode, I want to give you some quick insights and educational awareness about miscarriage and pregnancy loss, because often we do not discuss these topics because they're still woo-woo, very tabooed, or let's not get there, it's too sensitive. But I need you to know that about one in four women have experienced a miscarriage or will experience a miscarriage. And usually the miscarriage often happens in early pregnancy, which is around the first trimester between zero and 13 weeks. And miscarriages can occur for a variety of reasons. It could be due to health, it could be to hormonal health, it could be due to environmental, it could be due to stress, it could be due to the fetus genetics, chromosomes. There are several factors that we need to consider when it comes to miscarriage and pregnancy loss. It is a very devastating moment in a woman's phase of life because no one ever prepares to how to actually deal with a miscarriage and pregnancy loss. And so the reason I am bringing this up is because tonight's episode is about fertility and women of color. And our special guest is a very knowledgeable guest who has been providing services in the field in the mental health perspective, especially because you brought up a good point. Miscarriages can actually contribute to PTSD, which often at times gets overlooked because they'll say, maybe randomly, they'll say, well, she'll get through it. At least she knows she can get pregnant. We have to be very self-aware and consciously aware of comments that can be very triggering to some women who have experienced losses. And the reason that I'm saying this, because many people make comments or ask questions that are very triggering and they don't know because they don't know the fertility journey of a woman and so i think it's very mindful to really get to know about more information about miscarriage and pregnancy loss because if you are a woman who's planning on her fertility journey we need to be ready for both outcomes whether you're going to carry the pregnancy nine months full term and or if the pregnancy is going to come to a termination and being prepared for that journey because often at times most women are not prepared for that journey and so I like to bring this awareness into this topic because it's a much needed topic that often gets overlooked or left behind or just swiftly flowing through it and I think it's a very important thing to know more and more about what is a miscarriage and pregnancy loss what are some symptoms that women go through what resources are available do I have to take care of my mental health my nutrition my emotional you have to take care of all of it and we're not ready to to deal with whatever perspective when it comes to a pregnancy um, then we're going to feel the impact at a higher level that can actually affect our mind and body at a longer length and level and trying 
learning to navigate and how to deal with things. And so if we're able to raise this awareness and have these conversations and dialogues, then the more prepared we're preparing our women and our young women to be able to navigate in a supportive way without feeling abandoned or left behind or unsupported. And so, so I want you to listen to season two, episode 11. Ready? Vamos. Un, dos, tres. Hello, ladies. Welcome back to another podcast episode here at Saludable Latina Women's Health and Wellness. Today, we are going to be talking about fertility and women of color and what does that look like for us? And we have a very special guest that I actually came across on a social media platform. As you know, I'm always navigating and I came across special guests with me today, Dr. Lori Johnson. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much once again for taking the time and initiative today to have this discussion when it comes down to fertility, especially for women of color. As we know, it's not an easy journey. But before we get started with our conversation today, um, can you let our audience know a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in private practice now for uh, over 12 years, and I've been in the field, the mental health field for over 20 years. Um, I started off working in community mental health uh, and then transitioned into private practice um, and have enjoyed, you know, kind of a very like long and kind of storied kind of uh, career in the mental health field. And I've, I've been very privileged to work with a variety of populations along the way. Wow. And then, you know, so just this, pro- oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just saying, wow, 20 oh. years, that's that's a, that's a long time. And I'm pretty sure you were probably exposed to a variety of um, environmental and um, personal health factors when it comes down to patient care. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I, I really enjoyed my time in community mental health and wanted something a little bit different. And so the next challenge was private practice. And and, um, and so that's where I started to work more with women who were dealing with, um, you know, reproductive issues. And, um, and so I've always had a part of my practice that's been devoted to women's mental health and to, to begin with. But, um, you know, just the progression of women that I was seeing, um, you know, more kind of women who were struggling with conceiving, who were on these career trajectories where, um, you know, it just kind of was like the, the timing just wasn't right for them. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what, I'm having some, you know, the, the clock is ticking and now I'm having some struggles. And so, um, you know, but at that time of my career, you know, I wasn't really having fertility issues. And and then once I started to, um, I I really kind of, I think, gained a different perspective and and respect for the infertility community and what the women I was, you know, kind of counseling were, were dealing with. And, uh, and I think it was a lot of my own kind of personal experience that really, uh, I think, uh, was the driving force behind, you know, wanting to focus on fertility issues specifically at this point. Um, and, and also, you know, just helping women along the, the whole reproductive, you know, we're dealing with a range of reproductive issues because it's, it can be overwhelming. Absolutely. I'm going to trace it back to when you were actually seeing patients during the time when you were serving different populations in mental mm-hmm. health. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you were probably either working in a medical clinic or all areas. No. So um, my focus was um, mainly community mental health. And then um, that that just entailed an outpatient through outpatient therapy and then private practice. Um, so I never worked in a hospital. Um, when I was in community mental health, I did have to kind of interface with mental health hospitals, um, okay. you know, but, um, but I never worked in one in particular. 
Okay. So a lot of it was referrals um, going outpatient for service. Perfect. And so in that area, when you were seeing that outpatient referral, you indicated a little bit that you were getting some referrals with women who were already struggling with a little bit of fertility uh, on their journey, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, how was that dynamic for you as a therapist, um, seeing Mm -hmm. that type of clientele come in? And were you ready to consult with these type of patients that were trying to navigate how to foresee their well-being in this journey? That's a great question. I would say that um, in hindsight, I was probably very naive. Um, I was, you know, probably in my early 30s at the time. And so, and I never really kind of ascribed to the same age-related kind of concerns that, you know, these messages that women get bombarded with like, oh my gosh, you're 30 and, you know, you need to be doing this by this age or this by 35. And, you know, but I, I was aware that those messages were out there and women were responding to that. So I, you know, I think that I did the best that I could to kind of hold space for, you know, that level of anxiety that I, that's what I was seeing around, you know, oh my gosh, I'm 37. I haven't had children yet. I don't have a partner. What do I do with this? You know, to kind of help. And that's where I kind of started to really learn, wow, okay, you know what, this is, this is definitely an issue that's impacting, um, you know, women in my kind of generation. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of had to, you know, learn very quickly (laughs) and in order to provide services and support in an an ethical fashion, you know, but it was more, it was a progression, you know, that I think involves just a little bit of naivete on my part. You know, I I don't know, you know, just the the age range of your your listeners, but sometimes I think that, you know, I grew up with hearing a lot of women, you know, getting pregnant later in life and without hearing about the struggles. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was the message that I had internalized. And so I kind of was leading with that a little bit and, you know, had to, you know, had to check myself uh, um, around that because that clearly wasn't where, you know, my, my clients were coming from and, and understandably so, you know, they were really in the throes, you know, having to navigate some difficult questions about what their journey meant. Were they actively going to pursue some kind of assisted reproductive you know, technology or, you know, forego, you know, having, having children or, you know, just even getting the point of like, you know, do I do this without having a partner? Um, So there's some other, you know, I think factors that were were part of the conversation that, um, that were quite challenging. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're being very open and honest because I myself was very naive to Mm -hmm. thinking like that would never happen to me. And we tried to do our best to understand, but then something changes, right? Mm -hmm. So along your professional line, when you were gathering this powerful, beautiful woman in her career, did at some point in your career life, did you actually start wanting to have that ideology of having a family and a child Mm -hmm. and, and being able to reach that? I mean, how was that experience for you? And and how did, were you able to, to understand more that naive that we had from, from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was really baby crazy in my twenties. I could not see a baby without like, you know, needing to coo over it and um, try to hold it, you know, if it were appropriate. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and then there was a point in my life where um, I you know, there were some, you know, just a, a lot of upheaval and going through a doctoral program is really stressful in and of itself. And so okay. I was doing my own kind of, you know, personal therapy. And when I did that, um, 
at that juncture, um, I, I, I kind of, I, I became a little bit more settled within myself. And so by that point, I was in my early thirties um, and finished my doctoral program. And, you know, so my life kind of began professionally at that point. And so there was this new chapter, you know, for me that I was really enjoying this new profound professional kind of identity and this experience. Um, and so I was, I was a little bit late into the professional world compared to my counterparts. So mm-hmm. my friends had already been getting married and starting their families. But you know, I was happy being a late bloomer, as I as I called it. And, and it wasn't until I met my husband in my mid 30s, where, you know, I was like, Oh, wow, you know, it was, you know, we met unexpectedly. And, you know, kind of had this really cool, like love story. And, um, and then I think it was about maybe six months after we got married, I was like, well, you know, we've been married for six months, you know, I'm older, and let's start trying. And, um, and so that's kind of how it happened. Um, I never worried about whether or not I could get pregnant, or, you know, I, I just assumed that it would happen. Um, and I never expected to have, you know, one, let alone, you know, three miscarriages. Um, yeah. And, you know, so that was, uh, that was, uh, that was a challenge. That was a challenge. And, you know, kind of learning as the events unfolded um, was kind of my indoctrination into the fertility world. And, you know, so that was, yeah, so I think that, you know, I, I kind of always thought I would be a mom and kind of took it for granted that that would happen. And when I was ready for it to happen, it was, it would happen along my timeline. Mm-hmm. And then when it hadn't, I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm just getting humbled for the process. And, you know, and then it just still didn't happen. And I'm like, wow. So, you know, it was just, it was such a gradual process of leading into this, you know, my life hasn't planned, you know, hasn't kind of unfolded the way I had planned. I know that I have to kind of reconcile that, but it was still, you know, nevertheless, really challenging. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And thank you so much for being able to share that because I know sometimes when we share our stories, we have to kind of dive in those experience again to be able to share this Mm -hmm. awareness. So I appreciate you being able to be open about that journey when you were saying you were settling into your 30s because just like you, we have this idea where we're the working women. We're like trying to get Mm -hmm. to our focus and trying to achieve those degrees and then practice and services. And then some of us or like the rest of us have this you know, naive intentions like, well, you know, I know I'll be able to be a mom when the time is coming for me. But then we forget that the other side of pregnancy never gets spoken about. And that's what I love about having this conversation because we need to create that dialogue. So Dr. Lori Johnson, when you actually experienced your first pregnancy, how was Mm -hmm. that feeling for you? And Mm -hmm. then how was it navigating after the loss? Because I know for me, it was probably the most 360 world turn for me. And I wasn't expecting it. Yes, it was. um, It was very unsettling. So, you know, like I I mentioned earlier, I, you know, about six months after we had gotten married, um, maybe not even five months and um, decided to try and I got pregnant like the the second month. And, um, and so I was elated, you know, and I was like, oh, I kind of had this validation. Okay, I got pregnant, you know, when I wanted to. Yes. And yeah. um, now it's going according to my timeline. And then um, I went to my first appointment and the doctor, you know, so because I was over 35, I got rushed to the, you know, or directed to, you know, the high risk doctor. And, and so immediately when they did the, the ultrasound, she's like, 
are you sure your numbers are, you know, your, your period, you're, you know, you're certain of your, your last period because you're measuring a little small, but you know, we'll have you come back in a couple of weeks. And so that was the first kind of, you know, inclination. And then I had some spotting um, the next week or two weeks, no, a week and a half later. And then she got me in right away. And that's when I heard the dreaded words, you know, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. Yeah. And um, I kind of had a sense of what to expect because when the spotting started to happen um, and I just, you know, kind of didn't have that pregnant feeling anymore. And it just happened so quickly where I went from, you know, not being really, you know, nauseous. And that's how I, it kind of my body registers pregnancies very clearly for me and um, each time. So that was uh, the first inclination that something was wrong. And then I went to the, the, the ultrasound and, you know, heard those words and, and it was just like, it was just a, a sense of shock and, and disbelief. And I mean, I obviously heard of women having miscarriages before. I'd never known anyone who had had a miscarriage. So it, it I never really talked about it with, with anybody. And so it, it brought up this very, kind of weird for lack of a better way of saying it kind of experience because I was already really excited and attached and you know within that you know two week kind of period and or no my probably was more like three or four weeks actually because I miscarried or it was a missed miscarriage which um was identified at like nine weeks and mm -hmm. then I decided to miscarry naturally um which um I had done my research and I didn't want and I, I didn't want any more kind of medical intervention and mm -hmm. you know, so the thought of having a you know a DNC was DNC. kind of yeah was just um unappealing and yes. So, um, but I also was not prepared for my miscarriage experience, which is something that, you know, women, we don't always talk about either. And, and it was pretty gnarly. It was pretty gnarly. Um, you're, you're walking around, you know, knowing that your, you know, your baby is no longer with you, but still in your body. And, mm -hmm. and you're kind of waiting to have this experience of, you know, releasing it. And, and I heard that it would just be like a, a normal period and mine was anything but. It's the closest thing that I would imagine labor being, because um, I've, I've obviously not um, carried a child to term yet, but um, but I just remember the, the, the intense cramping that I was doubled over on the floor and just writhing in pain. And, and I'm like, wow, nobody really told me that it could be this this painful. And, and, the, and the nurse was like, even saying, no, it should just be more like a period. You're not that far along. And I was like, this really felt like I, I was, I mean, I was even having like bodily changes and, you know, and, uh, you know, just with, um, with some of my bodily functions and, you mm -hmm. know, and like, this is, it was just really scary. My husband was like, do I need to take you to the hospital? Because I, you know, it's just kind of rocking back and forth. Um, and, and then it was like once the once the baby came out, I you know my body just like went back to normal. I mean, in something physically, yeah. um, you know the pain stopped and and all of that. And so um, that was pretty. And I again, I didn't realize how traumatic that was in the moment, and I didn't really have people to talk to about. And and especially, I don't know how. I don't want to be too graphic in terms of like how I passed my fetus, but I, mm -hmm. I think only a couple of people really know the the details around that, but it was pretty, pretty intense. And, and I remember my doctor saying, well, if you could bring it in, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going in up, you know, it's, it's mixed up with a lot of other stuff. I'm not, <laughs> I can't do that. And so it was just really awkward and bizarre and painful and 
physically and emotionally, you know, so when I went back and, you know, when I, from when I had my next pregnancy and, and that seemed to be progressing pretty well, I remember my, my doctor at that time, you know, was like, well, good for you for miscarrying naturally. And I'm like, uh, this wasn't really, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. So, but yeah, it, it wasn't painless period that, you know, people had, you know, warned me about it was anything but. I agree with you. Because in my first two, I I spotted and Mm -hmm. um, I actually went to the ER as well. You know, I was already 35 at the time Mm -hmm. and went to the ER with precautions or they describe it like, yeah, it should be like menstrual cramping. I'm like, it's nowhere near menstrual cramping. And so contractions really, your body takes over you. Right, mm-hmm. like you, like you're describing, you're going into these contractions, and your body all of a sudden just has this overflushness of like you're no longer in control of what's happening in the situation. And I think for many women, like what you were describing, it's almost like a senseless hope because mm-hmm. you're trying to do so much, mm-hmm. but you know that your body needs to do what it needs to do to take place. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you were able to make the decision to actually. Uh, have the miscarriage on your own versus like you said medical procedure because Mm -hmm. I haven't really heard of patients getting that option did it kind of help alleviate knowing that you were going to be kind of in control of what your body expectation was going to be during the process a little bit a little bit I just wish I'd had a, a you know a little more knowledge about what my body could have done um you know because I didn't even realize I didn't connect that yeah, my body was having contractions, um, you know, and, and so that was kind of scary for me. And, you know, so I think, and I love the fact that I was able to make the choice and advocate because I, you know, I do like to do things as holistically as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I'm like, you know what, if I don't have to have this medical intervention, then I don't want it. And let's just see what my body can do on its own. And so just kind of trusting that. Um, yeah, I just wish I'd had a little more information around my scenario. And, and maybe I could have been that, that 1% of women who, you know, have that, who has that reaction, um, you know, so it might not have been worth mentioning, you know, just because, you know, who think, okay, what's, what's the, what are the odds of something like that happening? Yeah. Um, uh, that was, that was really, that was, that was tough. But yes, I, I do like the fact that I had a little bit more, you know, kind of say so and what, and what happened. Yeah. I know it's hard to kind of even say that, it's, you know, that you had the decision to, because obviously the situation wasn't something to be like, oh, I had the decision, you know, it just, the body had to go through its process to be able to alleviate what was going on, to be able to release. In your process of experiencing this, when you were in your home and then the doctor obviously asked, you know, bring the fetus in, because, you know, they mm-hmm. obviously they probably wanted to do additional studies. What was your decision? Did you end up taking the fetus or did you end up having just a, a private ceremony between you and your family? It was, um, it was a private ceremony and because, you know, again, I I feel like I can say this or be a little graphic. I just want to warn, you know, your, your listeners. Um, I, I, and I didn't intend this, but I ended up passing my, my, my baby in the toilet after I had, you know, just kind of gotten sick. So it was just, it was such a weird, you know, and I wouldn't even know. Yeah. So that I couldn't do it. Um, and it was, it was hard enough knowing that that's where my, 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 my fetus went and then to try to search and not necessarily know exactly what I was searching for. Uh, it was just too much from a, right. an emotional standpoint. So I had whatever, you know, kind of moment and my husband gave me a, a big hug and, you know, and, 
and we, you know, kind of flush the toilet, um, which is just kind of yeah. terrible. <laughs> well, I think so, it's like at the time, like you just said, yeah. I think a lot of women do ex- experiences that most first miscarriages end up being passed through the toilet. I wasn't prepared for the first one. It is common for most women to have miscarried on the toilet. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times it's, you just really don't know because you're so wrapped up and emotionally it's, it's overwhelming. And yeah. so having been able to have your partner be by your side, mm-hmm. I think that was amazing because most women experience this loss alone. I, I know mm-hmm. I did. I experienced it alone yeah. at the time, even though my partner came after. But those are the type of scenarios that we have to let our listeners know that, hey, this can yeah. happen to you if if something starts to um, happen as preliminary symptoms occur. After your partner and you have went through this, um, did you guys navigate for resources? Did, did your doctor outreach to you to provide, to connect you to resources? Or were you guys left out in the open and to figure it out on your own? Yeah, so we weren't connected to any type of resources. And I, you know, which I think unfortunately was, it wasn't until my second loss, um, which was, probably was, which was more traumatic than the first. Um, but I, I just really retreated and, you know, I went through this period of disbelief and, you know, um, didn't really think to look out for, for any support and didn't really talk to about, you know, my friends about it. You know, I just, I, I think I had at that time, I had this idea that, you know, if I didn't talk about it, then it wasn't real or I could get over it faster. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so then I started to have these moments later, you know, where I would see, you know, people with their babies and then all of a sudden start to feel really sad. And I'm like, well, why is, you know, what's going on? And having these traumatic reactions and I'm in the field and not necessarily recognizing it. And, you know, and I was in between therapists at that moment. So, you know, it just wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't having, I didn't have the therapeutic support at, at that point. So yeah, it was just an odd space um, where, I didn't really have a lot of resources. What, what about you? What was your experience like? Did, you, did anyone reach out to you? No. First of all, my first experience was I was disappointed by the whole ER experience when I spotted it. But I ended up passing at home just like you. And then I ended up following mm-hmm. up with the provider. But mm-hmm. I was never navigated into, hey, there's this counselor or a therapist or a support mm-hmm. group. I was mm-hmm. pretty much left to navigate on my own. And because I work in the medical field, I, I know how to navigate, but just like you, I, I retreated. I, yeah. I couldn't show up for myself like I show up for others. And that really, um, how do you say, it angered me that no one mm-hmm. was showing up for me when mm-hmm. we were showing up for others. And and so it made me realize there's, there's a, a big gap in medical services that don't know how to navigate women who miscarry or who are going through mm-hmm. infertility issues. And right. very much like you, um, retreating and, and seeing other people was causing triggers and learning mm-hmm. how to cope in those environments. Because I don't know if you felt this, but I would feel my womb like all of a sudden just like constrict and be like, mm-hmm. like gasp, like, okay, like, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and so how was that for you? Like as you were experiencing and going from one therapy? I think to kind of provide a little context to you, because um, we know when you're a therapist, you know, the, the expectation is that you are, you know, kind of consistently doing your own personal work in general. And so, you know, I definitely done a lot of work with one person for several years and it kind of reached a point, you know, where we'd kind of done everything that we could do at, at that moment. So I, I was on the search and it wasn't necessarily like I couldn't, it wasn't 
open to really talking about it. And at the same time, you know, I am the type of client too, where I, um, you know, need to have that connection too, in order to open up. And maybe there's part of you that didn't really sense that connection. And, um, and so, but for me, I think it, that was part of the challenge of even processing it initially in therapy, um, because I just, didn't have the right fit um, professionally for myself either. And so that was another layer um, that I think made getting support even more challenging. I mean, I think my previous therapist held space as much as she could and, you know, it just, um, and I'm really appreciative for that, but, and, you know, I, I needed a little bit more and something different and, you know, cause she was just far away at this point. And so um, we were checking in on the phone and I wanted face to face. I mean, just a lot of obstacles kind of getting in the way. And so it took me a while. It took me a while to, to find somebody. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I had the tenacity to, to, to kind of stay connected to that process. But I also know how challenging it can be for women when you're seeking help. And, you know, you don't want to have to try to go through three or four different people to find the best fit. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, it's time consuming. It's emotionally exhausting when you're having to retell your story. So yeah, it's, it, it, it can be challenging. Absolutely. And I agree with you. Uh, I think at times when people ask me, um, you know, to share, I think I've gotten to the point where I be, it's shown me my strength to be mm -hmm. able to bring awareness into the topic. But having been able to, like you said, navigating and it does get exhausting. I know at some point in your experience, in your fertility journey, as you were experiencing the good and the bad, because I always say it's always the good and the bad. You know, your mm -hmm. pregnancies were a gift, but unfortunately they're not physically mm -hmm. here with us doesn't mean they're not spiritually with us that's mm -hmm. that's what I've learned to empower and in your process as you were navigating your fertility journey how did that look for your husband knowing mm -hmm. um because often this doesn't get discussed and I always say males don't really have the insight on this because they go through right. a whole different process how was your partner supporting you along the way but also making sure he was okay yeah so my my partner is pretty stoic emotionally and you know he definitely had his own reaction to the losses um you know, that was different than mine. Um, I remember being like really angry with him or thinking, you know, I, he's not visibly upset. So therefore he's not impacted. And, you know, so for a long time, I just felt like, you know what, this wasn't affecting him in the same way. And also because he has children already and thinking, you know what, he's fine because he has his children. So, you know, it's no big deal for him. And, you know, so we had to kind of work that out and, and, and have some, you know, kind of painful conversations where he, you know, corrected me <laughs> and mm -hmm. I learned. And, uh, so, uh, you know, and, 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 and just kind of teaching me that, you know, what grief looks different for, for people. And when he told me, you know, and when he told me the experience of watching me during our second loss, um, that was really what got me because, you know, I, I'd been so consumed by um, just the pain of that loss. My second loss was a second trimester loss of that. And, and so I did have to have a DNE for, because there was no way I could pass um, or miscarry naturally. And, yeah. uh, you know, and so that was, uh, that was painful because he talked about like watching me roll away. And, and I remember, you know, just the events that unfolded when they, you know, kind of brought me in um, and I was getting ready and, 
you know, they walk you through, they, they verify your armband and all of this, and they ask you what procedure you're having just to make sure that you are, you know, oriented properly. And, you know, and then when I rolled away and I started to cry and, you know, and he mentions that, you know, he's like, I'll never forget, you know, I just went off you know, and, and, you know, then he had his moment. So that was, that was, that was when it registered for, for me. And, and I don't think he told me that for, for several months um, after the fact, because I mean, I was just like, just in a daze and like needing to move on. And, you know, so that was, yeah, that it's, it's been, it's been hard for him. And he's always worried about, you know, my health and my safety. And, you know, it's like, what does each pregnancy or loss mean for me? And he just wants me to be healthy and he doesn't want something to happen. And, you know, because, you know, just pregnancy is traumatic and it is. As our bodies as women of color, our bodies respond differently to it than, than our Absolutely. white counter. Than a white kind of woman. Yeah. yeah. Let's get into that. Um, why do you think women of color are at higher rates for infertility, at higher rates for experiencing um, or not getting their pain alleviated when we are going through mm-hmm. a miscarriage. Why do you think that exists for women of color? Um, because I know these are issues that um, we know that it's a public health problem in general. Yeah. It's a public health problem that I think is rooted in racism. Um, and I think it's a topic that's really hard to talk about. Yes. I, you know, people felt like we, you know, when we elected a black president that we were living in a post-racial society and, you know, with this last election, I think we've learned that we're living in anything but one. And if you look at the history of the enslaved um, and how we were treated historically um, and the Sims experiment to begin with, where you had this slaveholder in South Carolina who was a medical doctor who didn't really much care for women um, and never really kind of planned on being a gynecologist or what have you. But anyway, he um, started to conduct surgeries on, you know, African women without anesthesia, thinking that, you know, their property, they don't feel pain. And so I can only imagine the, you know, just the, the excruciating trauma that their bodies endured, you know, just when they came over to this country and, you know, and ever since and treated with this experiment. So I think that was the, at least one of the very early signs of, you know, we're treated less than in the medical community. So, and even in that experiment, the the, this, the, the black African slaves were uh, were not treated with anesthesia, whereas the white counterparts were. So, you know, between that and then you have like the Tuskegee experiment, um, you have, you know, Henrietta Lacks and, you know, her stolen cells. And so I think all of these instances in history that have shown the community that, you know, what people of color aren't necessarily valued, black bodies, black and brown bodies aren't valued as much. And then, you know, and, and I think I also got a sense of just watching firsthand my mother's experience navigating the medical community um, because my mother is, um, my mother is black. And she also has a, a blood disorder, sickle cell disease, which is very common in, in the black community. And so she has a derivative of it, but still one that um, her presentation is very painful. So she'll have crises where, um, and for your listeners who don't know, sickle cell means that your red blood cells aren't necessarily shaped the way that they should. They're actually shaped like sickles. Mm-hmm. So there are times when they don't flow very freely through the veins. And when they don't, it causes what they call a lot of pain, which is called a crisis. Oh, so wow. she would often 
And the only way to treat that sometimes is um, through um, just really heavy narcotics to allow it to pass and then also with, um, with fluids. And so from that, watching doctors not take her pain seriously was really painful. I mean, she's crying out for help, asking for medication, and they're, they're assuming she's drug-seeking or giving her something that's milder, whatever, because, you know, if we go and asking for Dilaudid, you know, or morphine, because we know that's what, what works, you know, again, that sets off a bell because they have a certain conception of, you know, a patient that is asking for that medication. So, you know, I think the way that also translates to the fertility world is, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're navigating this world as a person of color and you, you know, I, I don't know any black person in my circle that has not been impacted by racism or some aspect of it. And so when you grow up that with that being your lived experience, that's an additional layer of stress, you know, that doesn't really get talked about. And so when I was reading this literature around, you know, stress doesn't cause infertility and blah, 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 as it once, you know, was thought to do. And, and I'm like, but you know what? And I said this to a, a, a colleague of mine, you know, years ago, I, I was like, I really believe that racism, is, you know, is playing a part in my ability to get pregnant. And she's like, I fully believe that, you know, Lori. And she's telling me another academic friend of hers who was, you know, studying, you know, or had some kind of hypotheses, but hadn't written about it or something. So there was still some seminal kind of talks about this, um, you know, that, you know, just caught me down thinking, you know, like, yeah, this is, this is, this is real. And now to start to see that come out in the literature, um, you know, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine is finally, you know, I think between that article that came out or their bulletin last year and another article I just saw recently about, you know, how does racism impact, you know, black women. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. Fertility treatment process and IVF in particular, we might make the same number of eggs, if not more than our white counterparts, but we have, you know, worse outcomes. And when we control for age, weight, socioeconomic status, and, you know, it's like the, the factors around race really become salient, you know, that, okay, this is something to look at, you know, so when you think about it logically, how could, you know, and we think about that mind body connection, mm -hmm. How could this weight that we carry around in terms of navigating racism, you know, and, and the effects of that, how could that not impact our bodies and, you know, how much we're able to, um, to, to kind of reproduce? So, yeah, so I think there are multiple factors that are, I think, are really contributing to the fact that our, you know, we're not taken as seriously, you know, with regards to our pain and the fact that, you know, our outcomes with fertility are, are worse than our our white counterparts. I think all what you said is uh, very on point because um, for every woman that has gone through the medical system, whether they were experiencing a loss or, a, or a miscarriage, I just know there's so much area for improvement that I hope that it will make a change in the coming years. Because mm -hmm. as two professional women here speaking about it, I was just jaw drop like, am I really going through this right now? Oh, no, it's it's mind boggling to think, like you said, we're in an era where we sh we should be receiving the best care, but we're not. And that to me was an issue. Was you know what what is it going to take for women yeah. to feel validated, to be treated right, to be comforted and supported when she's in her most agony pain? Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And I'm very thankful for women like you who are who are actually making some moves in creating spaces and services. So let's get into mm -hmm. your services because. Yeah. 
along your journey, you decided to eventually kind of um, focus in a little bit more on fertility. And can you describe what made you want to take that initiative? Obviously, we know because of your personal experiences, but what really Mm -hmm. pushed you to wanting to go toward the fertility route in in your practice? So I was already kind of doing, or, you know, I, I still continued to work with women who are dealing with fertility issues, albeit, you know, probably not as much, you know, as before I was kind of going through my own stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but there were just some women that I had connected with. Um, I I felt like I could hold space and not be triggered. And so, you know, so I kind of, they were part of my, um, inspiration in terms of, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, um, in terms of staying connected, um, as, as much as I could. And then it was like, I, I, after one of my last losses, I went into a very intense, just very intense kind of grieving period. And when I kind of came out of that or turned a corner, that was when I just, it's like this light bulb kind of went off for me too about, wow, I really need to kind of share more of my experience and hold space and and to really help guide women along this process. Because I already found myself really sharing, you know, what I had learned and pulled together as a therapist and, you know, and, and, you know, kind of hearing from them, you know what, I felt so alone. And, you know, my doctor went, went through all of this medical stuff, but never really talked with me about my emotional health while I was going through this. And so, you know, like, that's, that's where I really started doing the, you know, kind of more intentionally focusing on, you know, the fertility work. And, um, and so, yeah, it's kind of shifted now and, uh, and, and it's been good. I said, once I turned a corner and I was going to share my story and my testimony and, you know, <laughs> And it's, it's quite dynamic how sometimes in the midst of our pain, you birth something like we're birthing in a creative aspect because we're seeing that you were walking in those personal shoes and you weren't seeing a need or a resource being suited to you as a woman mm-hmm. of color too. Like mm-hmm. I didn't see that need for myself. And so just like you, I was retreating and healing myself and I, I still am because it's a process. Um, But I also knew that this can't be it. Right. It can't be it. And I think about like what helped me because, you know, and I felt like when I knew how hard it was for me as a therapist to go through this, knowing that I have the resources to kind of, you know, interview therapists or think about like what could be needed. And and I'm like, if I'm having this much trouble feeling supported, I can only imagine what other women are feeling, you know, particularly women of color, you know, because, you know, we did have social media or weren't using social media the same way that we're using it now. Um, but I, you know, I connected with Resolve. Um, that was one resource, you know, after my second pregnancy loss um, that I did connect with. And there was a group here um, in my area happened to go and it was a black woman reading, leading the group. And I was like, <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and along the way, and it was just, and my group was just primarily women of color. You know, I was the only black woman and which was okay. I mean, besides the leader, um, but it was still kind of somewhat peer led. But then, you know, the other three women who were part of it were, um, were of Asian descent. And I think two of them were like Southeast Asian. So we were all like, you know, it was just, it was just so nice to see that. And I'm just like, wow, we are a unicorn in, about, in and of itself. And so that was, those are also experiences that I really drew from, um, you know, and that they're, they're part of my, my tribe that I refer to a lot on social media but um but yeah just 
like that was what I was able to piece together and to see that. Um, but just knowing how special and unique that was, I'm like, you know what, I really need to, you know, just that, I feel like that old African proverb or like, you know, each one teach one once you learn, you know, and you, you, you give and so kind of paying it forward. And so that, that I think also inspired, you know, just the work that I'm doing right now. And what did that transition look for you was it like a year two three like how long did it take you to say you know I really want to focus on being able to provide a space for women of color when it comes to when it comes down to fertility journey um and also too because couples go through this together you know mm-hmm. often at times it's the woman that's more open to mm-hmm. discussing a bit more because you know men aren't not taught to always talk mm-hmm. about their feelings but I learned in my process I told my husband if you're holding on a lot that means you're not being expressive enough and you're hurting yeah. my womb if you're not expressing <laughs> um, so he had to learn the dynamic of that but as you were intentionally going into this practice um, when did you actually decide to start creating the practice push the services forward so that way the community and or people around you would know that you were actually intentionally starting this practice moving forward? I would say last year was when um, I, I really pushed or became more vocal about my shift. And, you know, and so, um, and, and it's always, it, it was, I think everything's been a, an evolution, you know, um, because I, I think that my, my skill set has been beneficial to, you know, to all women, um, but also in particular, you know, women of color. Um, so it, it's kind of been a both and, um, you know, because I've, I still have clients that, that do not identify as women, you know, as, as a person, as people of color and, of course. and, and okay. Um, and, you know, still kind of speaking to, to, to them, but I'm definitely speaking to the women that are not seen or might be, might be struggling to speak up um, because they don't see themselves in the, in the community. And so just being that voice so that when they are ready, they, they know that someone is there to, to kind of help guide them. But, you know, I, you know, I think this kind of comes from my therapeutic background too, because it's like, if, you know, I know I'm but one person, but I know there are a lot of people like me that are, you know, becoming more visible too. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, there are lots of people to connect with. And so I think it's, you know, I think we're out there um, and, you know, we're just, we're really trying to work hard to make sure that everybody sees us. Yes, absolutely. Can you describe to us what is your services? So that way a listener um, who knows someone, because often at times when, I have shared my personal experience. You'd be amazed how many people know of someone who's gone through that, but are not, are Mm -hmm. too afraid to come out or just not ready to come out Mm -hmm. and share those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But how did you create your services and how does this start? Like if I was perhaps a client reaching out Mm -hmm. to you, um, what type of services would I look forward to being ready for? No, that's great. Cause I have a, I have a, a wide range of services. So obviously I still have my therapy practice. Um, so for people who are needing to really do some deep kind of emotional work around their fertility journey, that would be the space potentially to, to do that in. Um, and especially in mitigating some of the traumatic kind of experiences that, um, that resonate within the body. Um, I have since become trained in EMDR and I use those techniques, which is in EMDR, I movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a, it's a trauma therapy um, that is, uh, I think, helpful in mitigating those, those, uh, those, the impact of infertility trauma. So 
Um, but I also offer uh, coaching and, you know, my coaching services are for, you know, for people who need a little bit more direction and support as they're approaching, you know, just whatever fertility treatment they might be, um, they, they might be uh, getting ready for. And so it could be just kind of, you know, doing a little bit of mind body prep, um, or it could be, um, you know, really working to reframe a lot of the negative kind of messages that, you know, that they're walking away with, um, you know, as they approach like IVF and, and we might tailor those to to change um, just depending on where they are in their treatment cycle too. So it is really kind of prep preparing and you know providing that support during the, the, the treatments and then after you know for, for, for transfer because we do know that mind-body connection is is really key. And so um, you know I do kind of tailor those programs to really identify help the clients identify what they might need um, but usually it is around trying to manage the, the wealth of, of feelings that are just kind of overflowing and be, that, you know, that I think are, that we've all kind of experienced. Yeah. I love the fact that you're really integrating mind-body. In yes. your healing journey, what have you done for your mind-body when mm -hmm. you were going through your personal experience that if a woman was to be listening um, how can you kind of share that experience with them? You, you can't rush through healing. I wish that I had found, you know, for, and for my journey too, I mean, I feel like I found so many of these, these alternative practices, like after the fact, you know, um, like after I was having trouble or after I'd already started IVF, I learned yeah. that, you know, women who do mind body programs actually have better outcomes, you know, so the meditative practices, the yoga practices, the massages, the acupuncture, all of those ways that you can nurture your body physically and emotionally, you know, are beneficial to helping prepare yourself for welcoming, you know, a new life and in, into the world. Um, and so, so the healing for me, uh, you know, I found yoga, you know, after, um, probably, you know, halfway through my, 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 my IVF treatments. And, um, and I just loved my restorative practice still, still do. I don't do it enough, but you know, um, I, I'm definitely much more intentional than I was before about making sure that I have the meditative space that I, you know, I'm exercising, I'm eating properly for, for my body and learning how to listen to my body responding to it. And you can only do that when you're still. And when you're in the midst of all of this freneticness, this frenzy of the IVF or, you know, the infertility world, the noise can get really loud and you might not be able to or might struggle with really, you know, connecting with what your body, you know, is trying to tell you. So, um, and so for some women, they might kind of experience, you know, issues more somatically. So they might have more like stomach pain or headaches or, you know, there might be ways that, you know, that their body is letting them know that, that something's not right and they might not be aware of it um, because they're looking for a different sign. And so that's another thing that I help women do in terms of connecting with themselves. And, and journaling is also another piece that I like to use, you know, therapeutically and in my coaching practice, because I think it helps people stay focused on what their work is, what their goals are, and, um, and, and, and helps them kind of go back and see the progress that they've made. Yeah, absolutely. And I also know you actually created a six-step guide to creating your fertility self-care plan. Mm -hmm. What was the goal behind that? You know, I really wanted them to have, I mean, just, you know, a, a really nice kind of reference point, you know, to go back to, um, you know, those were all of the, the steps, you know, that, that I also took that really helped me and kind of piecing together what 
you know, if I were just starting out, yes, the mantras are helpful. And I, you know, I've seen some great, you know, guides out there for, for that. They need that too. But, you know, it's like, what could also be a nice reference point, you know, to kind of go back to each time, um, you know, this is your template to build off of. And, and I just want to, you know, I wanted everyone to have the basics because they're, you know, once you have the foundation of what's helpful, then I think you can really kind of go from there and really explore and, and individualize in, in a way that that's more meaningful. I love the fact that you created a guide and it kind of just like sinks the woman into the practice that you created mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, I wish at the time and just like, like you stated, I wish at the time when I went through my loss before that, that I knew about these services because in case if my pregnancy was to turn the other way, I would have reached out soon Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or soon enough. And the unfortunate part is that we looked into it after because emotionally it's just overwhelming what one yeah. goes through, right? But the fact that there's services and women like you creating space really amazes me to see, oh, she's so empowered. Like she's, she's, <laughs> she's coming through her, I always call it the cocoon and, you know, <laughs> spreading her wings. And, you know, we're all going through our process, but the fact that we're creating a space and a service is to let other individuals know that you're not alone in the process, especially for women of color, because we know that these spaces can be very rare and small, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I know like I was searching just like you for groups. I never mm-hmm. found one out here. So then I said, eventually when I felt a little better, I said, okay, well, let me see what I can create. You know, mm-hmm. and so the fact that you actually created something that has to do with mental health is really needed. Cause I, I know in my mental health, I saw, I had moments where I still feel like I get withdrawn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, I have to remember, remind myself, breathe. Yes. 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 And I think to have a, um, uh, someone to be able to guide, console you, that is a professional and a therapist at the same time can really help, especially with all the practices and tools that you're actually creating. I wish I had that because I, I didn't. Yeah. You know, and I, that's been my, my, I think the, you know, my driving force is like, yeah, just making sure that women don't feel as alienated and, you know, just isolated as I did and, you know, and holding space, you know, is it's, it's, it's a need that you have, that you have when you're going through this. Um, and, you know, and it's hard when you don't see anybody that looks like you. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to be able to do that for, for, for women. Are you also mindful about your journey too, as long as, you know, since you are a professional, but also being mindful of your time too, because we know that in these special spaces that we create, we have to be mindful of our well-being too. So do you take also time to still nurture yourself in the process as the same time that you're giving to others? I, I have to. And I mean, my husband, you know, likes to remind me, he's like, are you doing what you tell your clients to do? And I'm like, okay. um you know because I think you know I fall prey to what I see happening in a lot of people in helping professions you know we sometimes we have trouble saying no and you know we might work longer hours you know to make sure I mean because it's coming from a good place you're wanting to make sure other people are taken care of and you know you hear pain and it just kind of it kind of hooks you in and you're like oh my gosh I have to tend to that so um yeah I, I I have to be very diligent about that especially in this in this day and age of COVID and and also, you know, with the, the, the racial climate, because um, 
there's a, you know, dealing with racism is exhausting and, you know, and this is in our DNA. So because of that, I think that we need to prioritize rest even more. So I will talk a lot about that um, because I think it's the thing that we struggle with the most. And, you know, black and brown women, I mean, we're used to, you know, not being looked after, unfortunately. And so, um, and what that does is we um, kind of thrive off of the, you know, oh, the, 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 the statement, like, I'm strong, you know, I, I got this. And mm-hmm. And it's okay to be like, you know what, I don't, I don't have it. I, I don't have it. I'm going to sit myself down somewhere <laughs> and I'm just going to allow myself to have my moment. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. So um, it's, I'm a work in progress and I struggle just like, I, you know, a lot of people that I work with, but I like to think that I'm a little bit further along and, you know, and that I kind of ease into it. A little, I might, I might still kind of struggle getting in there, but I, I get in there. Um, and I get in there consistently. That's good. I'm, I'm also mindful of that too. And I'm really appreciative that you're able to take the time today too, because I have to be mindful uh-huh. of like the timing too. Dr. Lori Johnston, do you feel in your fertility journey that it's important to know your family-rooted work with your fertility journey? Because that's something that I kind of self-explored on my own is connecting to how I was pursuing fertility in the first place. Because I know as a young girl, like I avoided pregnancy to the max. Mm-hmm. And I also mm-hmm. feel like that was part of my journey as, as to why did I have that conception and doing the inner work as where did that come engraved in my lineage of women? Mm-hmm. And so did you feel it was the same process for you getting to know your rooted family history work to your fertility journey and exploring that? Yeah, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I did definitely, I did reflect on the conversations that I, you know, had with my mother or just statements I remember my grandmother making about, you know, pregnancy and things like that. And, you know, um, but again, it was just so um, distant in a way. Um, but, you know, I, I think after I started having my, my, my struggles and thinking about, wow, you know, yeah, I spent all this time like not getting pregnant or, you know, just actively not trying to. And, you know, because my granny always told me, she was like, you know, don't bring any hip huggers into the house. (laughs) 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 And, uh, you know, so, and, and she was a pretty phenomenal woman and, you know, just made sure all of her children graduated from college and graduate school at that. And she only had an eighth grade education. So she, that was her thing. And my, you know, and with my mom, I, you know, it wasn't necessarily about like, don't bring any babies in the house because she knew I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, I think I, my major story about her was the fact that she had had hysterectomy not long after I was born. And, you know, and that was a time where that was the treatment for fibroids. Um, yeah. so, you know, so that was, uh, you know, so that was the, that was the only other thing, but you know, the other, only other narrative was we're fertile, you know, so seeing women have babies later in life, like that was just part of the norm. So that was part of my norm and what I internalized. So, yeah. So that's kind of, that's part of like a little bit of my family history around that. Good to know. Um, I think often at times I, I tell women tap into the root of work with your lineage of women, because that's also part of your fertility journey, which I think sometimes we don't see. And so it's a little bit of that healing process along with that too. Any recommended books that you actually read for your healing journey? It could be spiritual, it could be um, self-care, it could be articles perhaps that you've come across. 
There is one book um, that just came out recently by Joanna Fleming's called Infertility and PTSD. That was a really great read in terms of taking stock of the impact of, um, of, of the infertility process on one's emotional health. Another one is called The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Um, and I think that's a really great one in terms of understanding the mind-body connection. So how our bodies remember, you know, painful events, even if we might not be able to um, have them in our kind of conscious awareness. Um, and so uh, I think that's a that's a book that I, I really liked. And from on a more, for, you know, again, like the fertility um, world, um, Julia Jakova was probably one of the first women to write about um, having babies later in life. And I think she, her kind of story was um, she'd had one child and I think dealt with secondary infertility um, at 42 or 43 and, you know, went through a series of you know, just a process of really understanding herself differently and, 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 you know, and wrote a book about how she had, you know, basically achieved her, her pregnancy uh, later in life with, you know, just, I don't want to say the power of positive thinking, because I think that really kind of oversimplifies her, her, her journey. But um, I think it gave me a lot of insight into the power of mindset. Mm. And, um, and also, you know, just knowing that just because the doctors say one thing doesn't necessarily mean that that is your reality either. And I think she introduced this concept of using your medical staff as consultants, which makes sense for me as a clinician, because I will say this to my clients, you know, you are the expert of you. I might know processes or, you know, I might know a little bit about this or more so than you do, but you are your, you are the expert on your body. And, and so she basically said, you know, you should need to treat your doctors as consultants. And so that was, it was really about being your own best advocate. And I think that that was another piece of information that was really helpful. Well, thank you so much for sharing those books. If someone wanted to get a, a hold of you and, or do an intake because perhaps maybe they want to outreach, um, they probably resonate mm -hmm. with the services that you listed on your website. How can they find you and reach you? And I guess the next question to that part would be, do you take insurances? And if so, is it all insurances or uh, selective mm -hmm. insurances? Because it's always good to know. I think that's a question yeah. that comes up a lot. Absolutely. So um, clients can usually find me on my website, drlaurijohnson.com, and that is D-R-L-O-R-E-E-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at drlaurijohnson. And I don't take insurance, but um, or I'm not considered in network with insurance. So okay. what what that means is um, if you have out-of-network benefits, um, then you can see me. <laughs> you just have to be clear about what those benefits are for you since they're plan-specific and I have no um, no say in that. That's that's a, that's, that's all determined by, by each person's insurance plan. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. so we don't there's tricks and loops to the insurances. Mm -hmm. Other yes. than that, I do find your service to be a great resource for women. I love the fact that you're providing online telehealth yes. appointments. How has yes. that been going for you? I, you know what? I've loved it. I do miss seeing people face to face. However, telehealth is the most, is the safest option right now. And my clients are enjoying it too, because they're finding that they have so much time back in their day. You know, they're no longer having to drive, you know, 40 minutes to get to an appointment and, you know, 
meet for 50 minutes and then drive home, you know, so it's working out. It's working out. So yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. And before we wrap up, is there any words of wisdom that you would like women to know who have been navigating the infertility and or fertility journey when it comes to women who are still trying to navigate and heal from either a pregnancy loss or a miscarriage? You know, healing, uh, you know, it's, I, I would, I just want to say be encouraged, you know, and there are women who are, look to women who maybe are a little bit further along in their lost journeys than you are as, as touchstones. Um, I can't tell you the first year of loss that I experienced. Just, um, I, there was a woman in, in the UK who, uh, you know, just literally, like I would text her in the middle of the night because she would be, she'd be up her time and, you know, never met her. We've lost touch since then. But, you know, for that critical part, because um, our babies, you know, had the, the same kind of, you know, unfortunate diagnosis. And so we connected on that, you know, and it was just, it was a beautiful thing, you know, she helped me through some really dark times and just was like, I, you know, I get it. I get it. It's okay. It's okay. And so making sure that you have that support that we're out there, we're out there and, and we're, and when we reach a point where we, you know, like we've turned a corner, like, like I have, and like she did, it's like, we're very happy to kind of, you know, to help the next person along, you know, because that's what it took for us. So, so be encouraged, just be encouraged. And, you know, just, if you don't have to get too far ahead of yourself. And sometimes it's just about survival right now until you can kind of, you know, until you can kind of see otherwise. Thank you so much for sharing those words of wisdom. Even for me, I was hearing that. I was like, thank you. Because <laughs> I can relate in so many ways. Last but not least, I do want to be mindful if you have any questions for Dr. Lori Johnson to be mindful of her time in case if you do want to outreach to her via email or Instagram, because as we all know, we're also in our own journeys in the professional world, but also healing and providing space at the same time. And so I'm gracefully grateful that you were able to accommodate today's podcast interview. And I, I hope that we're able to stay in touch. And I want to yeah. say I can feel your womb and I, I'm sending so much love towards your womb to be in harmonizing and need to be on that journey because just much like you, I am in those shoes along with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.